Um, I'm going to kick off with a little bit of scripture, um, the part of the Corinthians passage that we're leading on from, uh, from the last time we had uh, on this series of relying on God, uh, and then we'll, we'll get cracking. But the, uh, the, the passage is 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 7, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles or your apps or your phones, you can, you can follow along with me. And this is what it says. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And we're going to come back to that a little later on this morning. Um, and yes, this morning we're looking at joyous lifestyle. That's the, that's the title of this morning. Um, as, as you've just um, understood, I was one of the, uh, the 12 guys who went to Falde Brennan. Um, and while I was there, Keith Bowley was uh, teaching us on one of the mornings. And one of the, the bits of his teaching um, was something called operative theology. Now, I hope I get this right. If anyone else wants to correct me afterwards, feel free. But my understanding, the way he explained it is, the operative theology is this. We have a theology of, of various different things in our faith. It might be a theology on healing. It might be a theology on gifts of the Spirit. It might be a theology on the Trinity. Whatever it is, we have a, in this book, we have a theology. And our theology oftentimes starts up here, okay? Uh, But sometimes our experiences don't meet our theology. Our experiences sit down here somewhere. So the example that Keith used is is healing. We have this theology of healing. We know that Jesus um, did some miraculous healings. We know that in other places in the world, we hear stories of people who've had miraculous healings, limbs growing back, uh, people who are blind, seeing, all these sorts of things. That's our theology. But our experience might be that we pray for people and they don't get healed. And there's a a mismatch there between what, what our experience is and what our theology what our theology is. And what Keith was saying is, oftentimes we, we drop our theology to meet with our experiences because we, we need it. We need it to line up in our head. But he was challenging us that actually we need to expect our experiences to rise to the theology that God's given us. We need to expect God to be able to do the things that he said he can do in our lives. Anyway, we're talking about a joyous lifestyle, and uh, while I was preparing, I think God knew that I'm a bit of a skeptic about this, or I was a bit of a skeptic about this as I was, I was coming to it. And he gave me this challenge, um, and it comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. And again, this is written by Paul, the, the same guy who, who wrote uh, the Corinthians books. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. It sort of came into my head and I thought, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Really. 
That's the theology. This is my experience. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Always be joyful. Wow, that's a bit of a challenge for this morning, isn't it? The question that I'm asking myself is, can we truly always be joyful despite our circumstances? Can we really be joyful despite how we feel or the things that are going on around us in the world, the things that we're, we're struggling with? Uh, joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. Galatians 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It's in there. It's in that list. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And if joy is a fruit, then it can be cultivated in our lives. right? It can be something that has grown in and through our lives. And we have a responsibility in that. Jesus put, and God put us in the driving seat of our own lives. You know, there's only so many times you can say, well, well, God's got to give me that. God's got to give me that. God's got to give me that. Actually, it works both ways. We're in relationship with God, and God wants us to live a way that he has shown us. But we're in the driving seat of our own lives. And so it, it's our responsibility. And so really what we're talking about when we're talking about a joyous lifestyle is cultivating joy in our lives. Cultivating joy in our lives as a fruit from the Spirit of God. So I stand here before you honestly as someone who came preparing to this thinking, be joyful always. Is that actually possible? Is that actually a reality that we can live in? Um, And I want to invite you to walk on this journey with me this morning. Um, I haven't got it all figured out. Um, but, but come with me on this journey this morning of the things that I believe God has revealed to me to share with you this morning, to encourage us that we can have a joyous lifestyle. And so there are three things that I want to share with you that we can put in place that we need to have in order to have a, a joyous lifestyle. And the first one is we have to have a rejoicing mindset. We have to have a rejoicing mindset. Uh, does anyone know the band here, DC Talk? Anyone remember that? Got a few hands yeah, about five people, never mind. It's a Christian band uh, uh, and, uh, that we used to listen to, and um, they had a, had a song called Love is a Verb. And the song is sort of exactly what is said in the Bible, which is love is something that is a doing word. It is an action. Actually, we have to decide mentally to, uh, and to commit mentally to love someone. It's not always going to feel like we want to love them, but, but we choose to do it. And actually, that's, that's one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith, isn't it? That, that we probably weren't worthy of being loved, but God loved us anyway. He chose to love us. Um, and we have to do likewise. Well, rejoice is a word that actually, that one Thessalonians passage I just read to you, in, in different versions of the Bible, you'll actually find the word be joyful always replaced with rejoice always. Why is it replaced there? Well, rejoice is the verb of joy. To rejoice is to, to show joy in our lives. It's a doing word. It implies that we have to make a commitment mentally. We have to say to ourselves, I am going to rejoice. I am going to be joyful in my life. Despite the circumstances that are around me, I'm going to find things to praise God for, despite how I feel or despite what's going on. 
Uh, Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. It's really interesting how those those three things seem to go together in a lot of the Bible. The rejoicing, the being patient in difficult times, and the prayer. It's communicating with God and saying, God, it's hard, but I'm going to rejoice. And that's really where rejoicing shows its true power, isn't it? When it's hard, when it's difficult. It's easy to rejoice when it's it's easy, when, when, when things are going well. But to rejoice when things are hard, uh, that's difficult to do, and it requires persistence. I wanted to read you an article from a a person called Corrie Ten Boom. I don't know, raise your hands if you've heard of her. Wow, lots of people. That's really easy then. I don't really need to explain her background very much. Um, But as you know, Corrie Ten Boom was a a Dutch Christian, and she and her family hid Jews in World War II, and and they actually got caught, and her and her uh, sister Betsy got sent to a a concentration camp prison uh, under Nazi control. Um, And I want to read you an article um, from, from her book, The Hiding Place, where she talks about an experience that her and her, her sister go through when they're in this, this prison camp. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom tells of a time she discovered that God was working even in the most horrific circumstances. Corrie and her sister Betsy had been imprisoned by the Nazis for hiding Jews behind the wall of their Holland home, the Nazi prison conditions were pretty well unbearable. Corrie writes, Brackets 8 was in the quarantine compound next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, were located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night, came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached, blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace, We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sound stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Yet in the midst of the suffering, the women... uh, Uh, the women prisoners around Corrie and Betsy found comfort in the little Bible studies they held in the barracks. Corrie writes, they gathered around the Bible like waifs clustered around a blazing fire. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. When they were moved to barracks 28, Corrie was horrified by the fact that their reeking straw bed platforms swarmed with fleas. How could they live in such a place? It was Betsy who discovered God's answer. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corrie, that's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her. Then around me at the dark, foul-dared room, they thanked God for the fact that they were together. They thanked God they had a Bible. They even thanked God for the horrible crowds of prisoners that more people would be able to hear God's word. And then Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way that even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. 
And so we stood behind tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. It turned out Betsy was not wrong. The fleas were a nuisance, but a blessing after all. The women were able to have Bible studies in the barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by supervisors coming in and harassing them. They finally discovered that it was the fleas that kept those supervisors out. Through those fleas, God protected the women from abuse and harassment. Dozens of desperate women were free to hear the comforting, hope-giving word of God. Through those fleas, God protected the women from much worse things and made sure that they had their deepest, truest needs met. That, um, I find that challenging. I find that challenging to read. I'm sure you find that challenging to hear. Um, Corrie and Betty were sent into hell on earth. Literal hell on earth. And they found the ability to rejoice in it. And I feel challenged that if they can do that in those circumstances, then I can certainly do that in my circumstances. And that, that is the first challenge of living a joyous lifestyle, is rejoicing despite the circumstances we, we find ourselves in. That, that's the first challenge. The second challenge I want to I give today is that we need to listen to voices of truth. You know, relationships in our lives are, are actually key to, to living a fulfilled and joyful life. God made us so that we could have relationship with him and relationship with, with other people, our fellow men and women and, and children in our lives. And actually, we find fulfillment in that, those relationships and having good godly relationships with those people. But like trying to cultivate uh, fruit in our lives, it needs to be supported and spoken into. People need to be speaking into our lives who are, who are good godly people, who are people who are wanting to encourage us, who have our best interests at, at, at heart. And Paul lays down a challenge that I read to you at the start of... of, of this talk um, in 2 Corinthians, and he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a, a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are temples of the living God. And and firstly, just to address that what Paul isn't saying is that we should go out tomorrow and, and, and cut off all ties with people who aren't Christians. We should leave our jobs. We should disown our family members. We should not talk to our friends who aren't Christians. That is not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is, you need to be discerning about who you let speak into the intimate part of your life. Because the people that you let speak into the intimate parts of your life, the words that they, they say shape your life. They have an influence on who you become and, and what fruit is cultivated into your life. You know, our words have power. Most people who stand up here recognize that very quickly. Words have incredible power. Power to destroy and power to uplift and to build. And so we have to be aware of that as Christians, that people speaking into our lives and the, the words that we say speaking into other people's lives, they, it has power. 
it has significance in, the, in their lives. And so Paul is challenging us that we need to be discerning about the voices we listen to. And I, I learned this when I was, uh, I was an apprentice. That's how I started my working, working life. Uh, and, and part of being an apprentice, the very, by very nature, was to learn from the people on the job, was to, to learn from the engineers that I was working with. And I worked with some really good engineers, really talented engineers. But I also worked with engineers who were womanizers. I worked with engineers who were racists. I worked with uh, you know, engineers who were into alcoholism. I worked with engineers that were into affairs. I worked with a lot of different people who might have been brilliant as engineers. But what would happen if I went to them and I said, I want some advice about how to have a good marriage? Or I want some advice about how to relate to people of different races or cultures? What would that have done to shape my life in, in that way? We have to be discerning about, we can have relationship with people, but it doesn't mean we have to let people speak into every aspect of, of our lives. And we're talking about a joyous lifestyle, and if we want to have a joyous lifestyle, then we need to be discerning about the people who are speaking that joy into, into our lives and, and, and investing into our lives. And I have a, a privileged few people uh, in this church who have permission to speak into my life. They have permission to speak into the most intimate parts of my life. And I'm grateful to them for that. But I can count them on one hand, the amount of people that I let do that. We need to be very careful about who we let do that. And I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you those people in your life who, who can do that. Um, so it's important that we listen to voices of truth in our life. And, and the final point I wanted to say was that we need to invest in joy. We need to invest in joy. The world has a, a, a couple of uh, lies about investment. I, I, uh, my first job, my very, very first job was a paper round. I was 13 years old, worked for this corner shop. And uh, every day I'd go and pick up, pick up these papers. And I, uh, I worked six days a week in the afternoon delivering papers all the way around Bridgeland. Earned 12 pounds a week. That was my, uh, that was my, my salary. And... Um, that was great. I really enjoyed doing work. The thing was, this, this corner shop that I got these papers from was actually a sweet shop as well. And, uh, and it was on the way back from, back from school. And me and my friends worked something out not long after I started this job, which was if I'd worked two days out of my six-day six day working week, technically I'd earned four pounds of, of my salary. Great. Um, and so we had the nerve to go and ask my employer, this guy called Mark, would it be all right if I had a little bit of my salary a bit, a bit early? You know? and, uh, and then what we would do is we'd proceed to spend that money buying the sweets from the shop. He must have thought he was onto a cracking deal because I was paying him to give me a job so that I could pay him for his sweets. Um, anyway, this went on and on and on. And, and it wouldn't be uncommon for me to get to the end of the week and not have any wages left because every day we'd spent the money on the sweets in this shop coming back. Um, the world has this, uh, a couple of lies when it comes to, to money especially, but I'm not talking about money this morning, but it illustrates the point. The first one is spend, 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 and you'll get instant gratification. I don't know whether some of you might have one of these. For everything else, there's MasterCard, right? 
You know, the world says, you can have it now, why wait? You can have it now, instant gratification. Go out and get it now. Go spend, 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 spend. Give everything away. And you will, you will get joy. You will get fulfillment in your life. Um, and at best, that can often get us into debt. And at worst, that can get us into mess with pornography, with uh, addiction to substances, to alcohol, to all sorts of things, because we want the hit now. We want it now. The world has another lie to tell us about finances. Save, 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 save. And you will be safe for tomorrow so you can be joyful because you have all your savings so you are safe. Jesus tells a story, doesn't he, about a a farmer who builds bigger barns so that he can store more grain in his barns. And, and, you know, he's got all these barns and he sits back. And God says, you fool, this life life of yours will be taken from you this very night. And who's going to spend all the grain that you've stored for yourself? And hear me when I say this. I'm not saying saving is bad. But I'm saying saving to replace your security from Jesus to your money is foolish. Because your life could be taken just like that. There's full security in that and there's no joy to be found in it. But God, God has a different pattern. He says, invest, 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 invest. Invest your life. Invest in the people around you. But you see, investment is costly to those of us like myself Uh, who have a a propensity to want to have instant gratification. And believe me, that is me. I stand here honestly telling you that. And my friends, Richard and and, uh, Emily are laughing here because my friends know that. And the close friends that I allow to speak into my life, I rely on them to tell me that. I rely on them to keep me on the straight and narrow on that because that's a temptation for me in my life. To have it now, why wait? But for those of, those of you who are like me in that respect, it's costly because investment is done over a period of time. It's not instant. You do it over a period of time. And for those of us who want security in our savings, investment is costly because it involves risk. It involves putting resource into what we're investing, a resource of time and of money and of energy and, and of ourselves. But the return of investment is satisfying The return of investing in those things that God gives us to invest in is satisfaction, fulfillment. And there is true joy to come from those things. I want to read a couple of bits from uh, the the parable of the talents, the parable that, that Mark read a bit earlier. Matthew 25, 29 is at the end of the, the parable, and this is what the master is saying, saying. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Jesus wants us to be good investors, wise investors with our lives. And you know, true joy comes from that wise investment into the things He's given us to invest in. The examples in my life are, and, and they will be different for each of you of what God has called you to invest in, but for me, I've got my, my marriage and my, my, my children, bringing up my children and my work, and they're just a few of the examples in my life. But, but they all make the same point. In my, in my marriage, uh, some days it's hard. Some days we want to give up. Some days 
We don't want to show love to one another. Some days we're tired or grouchy or frustrated. And yet when people come up to me and say, wow, James, your, your, your wife, she's really talented or she's really growing in her life with God or uh, she, she's looking really, really well or she's doing a fantastic job with Zach. Wow, that's return on my investment. That's return on my investment. I've invested in my marriage and it's being fruitful in our lives and people are seeing that fruit. There's joy in that. There's joy in that. When I look at my son's life, Zach, it's hard. He knows how to push my buttons. He knows how to twist me so that I break. He knows. Yeah? But when people say to me, he's developing well, when Roe Gibbons comes to me and says, wow, he's really developed in, uh, in toddlers at the back. We've really seen him move forward. When we see him walk for the first time or talk for the first time, or eat food without throwing it around the place for the first time. That's joy. That's return on my, mine and Emily's investment. That's significant. When I do work and it's difficult and I have arguments with colleagues and we fall out over things and, and there's, the project's not going very well and we've, we've blown the budget and it's all going, going horribly wrong. It's difficult. It's difficult. But when I see something in front of me that is designed, that has come out of my mind and has been built and is saleable to a client, and we've, we've done the job and we've made profit on it, that's, that's joy. There's a, sorry. There's a lot of joy to be had in that. And, and, and I want to encourage you this morning to ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, God, what are you giving me to invest my life in? What are the things that are returning joy to my life? Be encouraged by those things. And ultimately, in investment, there is an ultimate joy to be had. This is my hope for when I get to heaven. Matthew 25, 19-21. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them, called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. When I get to heaven... I want to be able to say to Jesus, look, you gave me this marriage. Look how fruitful it's been. You gave me children. And look how their children and their children and their children are serving you in a really powerful way. You gave me the ability uh, to, to meet these people in my workplace and show them a different way to live. Be an example to them. Look at the fruit you've, you've allowed me to produce by showing me how to invest in these different things. And there'll be joy on that day that will surpass every joy we have ever known. That is a hope that we can hold on to. That is a hope that we can literally go after. We can invest in life because there is a joy coming that is greater than anything. To see Jesus look you in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, James. You've invested well. Well done. Come and celebrate. Come to the party. That's going to be good. That's going to be a joyful day. So, living a joyous lifestyle then, it's about, 
setting a direction of your life on the things that God wants for you. It's about choosing an attitude of rejoicing even when things are difficult and hard and frustrating. It's about enjoying the community of people that you have around you, not just in here, but out there. But be discerning about who you let speak into your, into your lives, into the most intimate parts of your life. And it's about investing in the things that God places on your heart to invest in so that you can get a return of joy in your life. May God bless you in your pursuit of joy this morning. May God bless you in that. I'm going to pray and then hand back over to Mark. Father, thank you for our lives. Thank you that they are an opportunity. They're an opportunity to invest wisely in the things that you have given to us. They're an opportunity to please you as our master. They're an opportunity to have relationship with you and with other people and to have healthy, good, godly relationships. Father, I want to pray a blessing over each and every person here uh, this morning. That your joy, the fruit that you can cultivate in our lives, would start to grow this morning. That as people leave this morning, they would embrace that challenge. That you have said you are willing to grow that fruit if they are willing to be obedient to you. I pray that they would leave encouraged of the joy that is already in their lives the things that they can already thank you for despite their circumstances. And I want to pray that that joy that they start to cultivate would come to fruition in a really powerful way in their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for that opportunity. Amen.